Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. So I feel, uh, I just got to tell you, I feel absolutely privileged to be here, and I'm so grateful. I love having the opportunity to share the Word of God. And some of you may or may not know uh, that you, you saw Pastor Jeff already on screen, and you heard Pastor Steve and uh, Pastor Brian, all, all three of them, along with our administrator, Jim Fay, uh, is out in California. They've been out in California for several days, and they're t- meeting with some people about collaborative leadership. So you're stuck with me. So I figure what I'll do is preach a new vision message. What do you think, huh? <laughs> we can surprise them when they get back. We'll put up new banners. <laughs> be pretty fun. Be a good gag. No, I'm not going to do that. Probably bad. Uh, but I do want to teach about a vision that Jesus gives. I believe he gives this vision in Luke 12. And uh, I think it, what it is, it's, it's a vision for living a faithful life in the midst of life-threatening possessions. I think that's what this scripture passage is about. He gives us a vision for living a faithful life in the midst of life-threatening possessions. And here's the message in three words. If you remember anything today, it's this. Grasp or give. Grasp or give. Let's say it together. Grasp or give. Yeah. Now, I do things a little bit unorthodox. I kind of jump around a lot on the message notes, and so I want to start with the end in mind. So we're going to fill in the last line of the notes. That way nobody will be worried whether they'll get that or not. And here it is. Here's the question, the message in one question. If you're following along in your notes, last line, do I grasp or am I grasping abundance of possessions Or do I give? Am I giving out of the abundance of the kingdom? Do I grasp abundance of possessions, or do I give out of the abundance of the kingdom? Grasping, grasping, grasping. I've been thinking about this for weeks now, as I've become aware of when you sit in a passage of Scripture for so long, it starts to speak to you. And so I've been thinking about where this is in my life, and... uh, I just wanted to share a story with you. I'm a, I'm a lifelong Cubs fan. Grew up in, the, in Chicago and uh, was at Wrigley Field in 1989 with my grandpa and my dad and my brother when the San Francisco Giants pummeled us and went on to win. And so 16 years ago, my brother and I were in college. He was a freshman. I was a senior. And we put our names on the season ticket wait list. There's tons of people on it. A decade later, our names come up. We jump on the opportunity. This is great. So that's about five years ago. So we've been uh, season ticket holders, nights and weekends, for the last five years. And of course, it all culminated this past weekend because you get playoff tickets as well when we were able to go to the World Series together last Saturday at Wrigley. So my brother and I were able to be there. We had a a great time. It was an awesome time. We spent the whole day there. But we did lots of things while we were there. And one of the things that we did was we found ourselves in an apparel shop, right? Cubs apparel. How much Cubs apparel does one guy need? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's been 108 years. I don't know. 
And so we're, we're walking around this place, and I just, I got to give you a, just a visual, right? So I've got, I've got my sweatshirt I pick up along the way, and then I, I had, I got my t-shirt, and then I got that, and my stocking cap, <laughs> got that, and my backpack is on my shoulder, and I had to pick up some programs for people, and they're the big, thick ones, you know, so I have five of those in my bag, and I'm walking around this place, and there's all these people, you know, and what happens but a guy comes out with a box of the official MLB World Series sweatshirts. We couldn't find these anywhere, and he dumps the box right in front of me on a table. What do you think I did? <laughs> of course I did. I, I grasped it. I grabbed it. And then I asked, what size are these? <laughs> Medium and extra large. Of course, I wear a large. Did I put it back? I put it on. <laughs> see, if it's, see if it fit. I asked my brother, does it, does it fit? He said, eh, it's a little bit. It kind of looks like a dress. <laughs> Did I put it back then? No, carried it around. Thought, ah, oh, I can wash it and it'll fit. I'll wear five shirts under it. I don't know. I'd Carried it around, carried it around, and finally I thought, man, I guess I don't need this. And so what did I do with the one sweatshirt I had? I gave it the, uh, 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 finally put it back, grasping, right? And I've, I've noticed it in a lot of different places in my life. Is it wrong to have Cubs apparel? Nah. But the posture we have towards it, some of you say, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> But the, the posture we have towards this thing can be wrong. And maybe it's not Cubs apparel for you, but is there anything you grasp? Is there anything you can't get enough of? I feel like we do this. Whether it's with other types of clothes or technology, name brands, food, experiences, automobiles. I think we even do it with positions and status and power. So as I've been sitting in this message, I've been more and more convinced that, man, do I need it. I'm blind to this area of my life, and I feel like we need it as a culture, too. So Jesus is going to bring a word of challenge in the scripture today. Everybody say, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Because where there's great challenge, there's great opportunity and reward. Yeah? And especially in the kingdom of God, he magnifies that challenge and reward in a great way. So let me pray. We'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. And thank you that we can be together today to learn from it together. So grateful. We pray you to open ears, eyes, and open our ears, open our, eye, our, our hearts to hear what you have to say. That we might leave here, Lord, able to live this out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our Bibles. We want to be first-handers with the Word. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the seat racks in front of you. And we're in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 13. If you're in one of those Bibles on the seat backs in front of you, it's page 727. And we've been in a series in Luke called The Life of Christ since how long now? I think since January. And we took a, a break over the summer. And basically what we've wanted to do is we, we, we want to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. We want to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. And as we've walked through this series, one of the things that we've realized is that Jesus is about his father's business. He's always about his father's business. He's about kingdom, the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. And he's always teaching on kingdom principles. If you're following along in your notes, he's contrasting the kingdom of this world 
with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God, always holding them up against each other. And he's been doing this even the last three weeks, just some examples of where we've been. The Good Samaritan, the kingdom of this world. My neighbor is anyone I'm comfortable around. The kingdom of God. No, your neighbor is anyone you can show mercy to. How about Mary and Martha? I have so many things I need to get done, I've got no hope and I'm alone. The kingdom of God. Only one thing is necessary. How about the Pharisees? If I've got it going on out here, if I can just portray a good image, then I'm good. The kingdom of God. The insides, the inside that what matters. Nobody's heard teaching like this. And nobody can get enough of it. And people are saying like things to people, have you heard the authority he teaches with? I've never heard such authority. And so great crowds are following him. He's going from town to town and great crowds. The crowds are growing and growing. And so you can picture this scene when he's teaching to thousands, it says. And he's teaching in this section of scripture on what we do when we face life-threatening situations and someone interrupts him. I love it. It's a very interactive culture. And Jesus hasn't prepared a message. He's teaching out of the overflow of his life. He just knows the kingdom of God, and he knows his father. And this, this man interrupts him. Now, no one interrupts me today, but this guy interrupts him. Verse 13, and he said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what can we deduce from this verse? Verse 13. We can see that this guy's one of two brothers. He's seeking his share of the inheritance. He's presumably the younger brother because he requires assistance. The older brother wouldn't have needed assistance. We know that this probably wouldn't have been an uncommon situation because respected rabbis were asked for their advice. In fact, some rabbis, he says rabbi, teacher, some rabbis, they'd travel from town to town rendering legal decisions on different things. And so it, it makes sense that he would have asked a respected rabbi for insight. What else can we see? We see that there's disunity, that there's argument, there's disagreement. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's no unity here. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about the land. And with land comes advanced status and privilege in the village and the surrounding empire. The land is a Jewish vital symbol. Even to this day, look over in the Middle East, land's a big deal. And here as well, what's the posture of the brother? He's not asking a question. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Maybe uh, I need this land. I've got to have this inheritance. My brother's keeping this from me, and it's really annoying, and he's kind of being an idiot, and it's all I'm thinking about, and I have to have my inheritance, so would you tell my brother to give me what's mine, because it is mine, and here's my plan, and can you make it happen? Because I need it, because i got to have it. I mean, he's not portraying that, but it certainly seems like that's his posture. I'm grasping, grasping, i got to have that inheritance. It's a surface issue. I need the inheritance. But notice what Jesus says back. He says in verse 14, man... Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? 
Who made me a divider over the two of you? And he borrows language from Exodus 2.14. I think it just shows that he's full of the scriptures. He knows them so well. You remember when Moses confronted two men? And he, and he said, what are you guys doing? They said, hey, Moses, who made you a judge and a prince over us? Remember that in Exodus? And Jesus says, who made me a judge over you guys? I didn't come to divide I didn't come to talk about these petty surface issues. I didn't come to do this sort of thing. If you're following along in your notes, Jesus refuses to address the surface issue and instead addresses the root issue. Jesus refuses to address the surface issue and instead addresses the root issue. The thing below the thing, the disposition, the way of being, and he does this all the time in scriptures, you see it. He's, never does he address these kind of questions. He's not going to say, okay, okay, let's see. Let's, how much money is there? And we'll give this much to this person. He just doesn't do that. He gets asked about it all the time. He doesn't do it. He decides, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk to you about hard issues. And surface issues are almost always concerning the kingdom of this world. You can almost take that to the bank. But root issues, postures, almost always about the kingdom of God. So he drops this kingdom principle on this group of thousands of people right here. In one sentence, he contrasts the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. It's a he who has ears to hear moment. Let's read it together. It's on your notes. It's Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in abundance of possessions. What? Wait a minute. Life doesn't consist in an abundance. Okay, well, maybe not abundance. Like, I, I don't have to have a ton, but life consists in some possessions, right? I mean, I have to have some possessions. I, and sometimes when I have the things that I think I need, I think I'm happy. I think. Now, wait. So, wait. Do you ever do this? And I go here, and I go, so, so we can't have possessions? You ever ask that? So, wait. So, we can't have, are possessions good or bad? Because I remember the story you told about the rich man, and he sells everything that he has or he's supposed to, but that's not for everybody, right? I mean, it's just for some people. Surface issues. Surface issues. Can I have my possessions, Jesus? Can I have my inheritance? Root issue. What's your relationship to the inheritance? What's your posture before your possessions? Be on your guard, he says. Watch out. Notice this. Be intentional about it. He's so gracious to warn us all the time throughout scriptures. Notice this. Notice greed and covetousness. Grasping. Notice this grasping posture, this misplaced hunger, this unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something we think we need. Notice the possessions in your life, having and owning and controlling, a motto of our culture for sure, a principle of this world, a race to have the most things. I love this quote from Mark Twain. He's so good with words. Civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Oh, how many unnecessary necessities do I have? 
As I was studying this past week, I, it just occurred to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Google things I need. <laughs> just see what comes up. And so I did the top site, 10 things you didn't know you needed. And I just had to share some of them. So here we are. I'll throw them up on the screen. We've got the uh, nail protector clips. <laughs> yep, don't leave home without them. We've got the poor thing, in case this is getting hard. <laughs> We've got the water bottle with the built-in wallet. That's right. And the car french fry holder. <laughs> Drinking the fries. And the flask sandals, because who doesn't need that, right? <laughs> and my favorite, the squirrel chair. <laughs> somebody, somebody told me to have that one. <laughs> These are definitely going on my Christmas list to give to people. <laughs> but I've been thinking about, where, where does this happen in my life? That's a little silly, but where does this happen in my life? And I thought, man, the Lord just revealed some things to me. When the UPS truck shows up and it's got something on there for me, my heart skips a little bit. Oh, there's no reference to Jesus. It's just like, oh. or uh, when I go to the grocery store and I'm the king of this, I've got the list, but I come home with a third more than what's on the list. Or uh, the other night at dinner, I, I, it was totally this, the, the bottomless chips and salsa became a little too bottomless. I was uh, so convicted, I went to my closet and started looking through it. I found 19 shirts, six jackets, seven pair of pants, and three pair of shoes in my closet that I haven't worn in over two years. And so then it just led me to dig into it more. I just wanted to know. I just, I just had to know. I found out the average American throws away seven pounds of garbage a day, more than any population on earth. I found out that in America, we throw away 28 billion pounds of food a year, equal to 25% of the U.S. food supply. And I found out that here in America, where 4% of the world's children live, we buy and throw away 40% of the world's toys. We are in a war against materialism. It's a war. I'm convinced of it. Anybody feel the weight of it? And here's the lie. The lie is that life to the full comes from abundant possessions, so grasp, grasp, grasp. That's it. But grasping abundant possessions is an opponent to life to the full, our scripture says. Colossians 3.5 says it turns into idolatry. We end up worshiping something instead of worshiping the rightful Jesus Christ our Lord. The truth is, here it is, giving Giving out of the abundance of the kingdom is life to the full. Isn't it true? When we give out of his abundance, it brings life to the full. And when we grasp for abundance, it brings a shadow life. So Jesus says, I'm going to speak to two groups of people. I'm going to speak to those who have surplus, and I'm going to speak to those who don't have surplus. And this section of scripture runs from verse 13 all the way to verse 34. And we're only going to go up to verse 21 today. And Steve's going to speak to the rest of it next week, those who don't have surplus. So we're focusing on those who have surplus. And how does he, how does he deal with this? He tells a story. And I want to read the story to us, and I want us just to hear it with fresh ears. I don't even want you to follow along. I just want you to listen to it. Here's the story he tells. 
amongst a thousand people. He's been talking to this man. He turns to the crowd. He says, I want to tell you a story about surplus. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I want to point out five points in this parable. And I think what Jesus does here with this whole section of scripture in this story is he, he's contrasting the kingdom of God with the kingdom of this world. And so if you see on your notes, you see the grasping section, that's the kingdom of this world, and the giving section, it's the kingdom of God. So we're just going to make columns that represent each lifestyle, each posture. And here's the first one. Bubble view versus worldview. Narrow or bubble view versus worldview. He told them a parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And here's the question. When the text says rich man, who do you think of? Do you think of yourself? Or do you think of someone else? Now, I don't know all of our situations in this room. All I know is the way that I've read it. I've read this verse 30 plus times. Every time I read it, even as I've been studying, I think of someone else. Maybe it's because the text says, a certain rich man. I don't think there's something else more there. I think I'm the rich man. He's convicted me that I'm the rich man. And I forget it all the time. And I need to be reminded daily that that's who I am. A couple years back, I was so convinced of this that I bought a book called Living on a Dollar a Day. And I just flipped through the pages, just, just read through it and looked at the pictures just to be reminded of the way most of the world lives. And that's one of the ways that we can be reminded. But there's many. We can take trips. I know many of us have done that. We were blessed to be in Haiti last spring with the Burks to see how life was there. We can stay informed in other ways by, by praying or keeping in touch with our missionaries. We can read the news. We can write down the stats. But here's what I think. I think Jesus wants us to embrace reality. He wants us to live in reality. And this is the point that convicted me the most. And I wasn't even going to do this, but I just felt it's impacted me so much. Just so we're all on the same page. I just want to read the stats. And they're on the back of your notes if you want to turn it over. But here they are. Not that we'd be condemned or feel guilty. But that we just so we'd know, so we'd embrace reality. If we make $68,000 in net assets, if we have that to our name, then we're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest citizens. If we have $10,000 in net assets, then we're in the top 30% of the world's wealthiest citizens. If we have $3,200 in net assets, then we're in the wealthiest 50% of the world's citizens. Almost half the world, over three billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. And at least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. And one billion children of approximately 2.2 in the world live in poverty. I was wrecked by this. 
And I thought, man, I've got a narrow view. God, give me a, nar- give me a world view. The scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave. I think the answer to surplus, it says it in the scripture here, is to be rich toward God. You see that on the bottom of your notes. Be rich toward God. I want you to circle that, rich toward God, and draw an arrow to the give column in your notes. Circle rich toward God and draw an arrow to give. Invest in the kingdom. The scriptures celebrate all people who do this. The well-to-do centurion who built a synagogue for God's people, and the poor widow who gave two coins. The hospitable house of Mary and Martha, where Jesus found respite, and the churches of Macedonia, where Paul mentions they gave out of their joy and extreme poverty. Poor, rich, both investing, giving towards the kingdom of God. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. What opportunity we have. What opportunity. And I add this too, and I have to add it. What opportunity we as a church have already taken advantage of. And I stand on the shoulders of so many people in this church who have been rich, rich towards God. And I've been here for over 10 years. My life has been changed just watching the way our church gives. And so I guess what I'm here to say today is let's press on. Let's press on. Let's keep after it, giving towards the kingdom of God. For everyone to whom much is given, much opportunity is afforded. I love the way Francis Chan puts it. When we're 20 years old, we're running 20 miles an hour. But when we're 30, we're going 30 miles an hour. 40. 50, 60, 70, we're running faster and faster and faster till we get into eternity, leveraging everything we have so that more can know of the hope there is in Christ. And we get to do it together. Point two. Alone in the kingdom of this world, or grasping, versus community. Alone, community. This man thought to himself, verse 17, He said to himself in verse 18. He said to his own soul in verse 19. He's in isolation. He's by himself and is planning. God is about community. He creates mankind and he says multiply. He creates Adam and he says it's not good for man to be alone. So along comes Eve. In Genesis 12, one through three, one of the foundational scriptures in the Bible. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great ruler. No, he says, I'll make you into a great nation. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church, my people, my family. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. This last week, I don't know if you can do this. I just go back towards community in my life. Where did it happen? Thursday night with my life group. Rich, rich time. Saturday morning, I was with some folks, and we were just doing some yard work. And it was, we didn't talk that much. It was rich just to be together. This morning and Sunday mornings, when I can be together, just be with God's people. Man, I'm changed. It's rich. Last Sunday night, we had a community service in here. Churches from everywhere came to worship. Rich, rich. God says community. I'm about community. Point three. Under grasp, I, me, my, mine. I, me, my, mine. Under give. His, yours, ours, theirs. His, yours, ours, theirs. The pronouns I, me, my, and mine are mentioned 13 times in this story. 
with surplus of goods, the attitude of this man is the reverse of kingdom mentality. Instead of denying himself, he aggressively affirmed himself. Instead of finding his happiness in giving, he tried to conserve it by keeping. But Luke 9 says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's not mine. It's his. God created the heavens and the earth. What can anyone receive unless it's given him from heaven? It's not mine. It's yours. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Love this verse from Deuteronomy. There should be no poor among you. For the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. He's the God of abundance. Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 5. It's not mine. It's ours. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Acts 4, 32. I think we could read this story, and we could read it as a good business choice. He had a bumper crop, insufficient storage. So instead of building more barns, he tore down the barns he had to build bigger barns so he wouldn't take up space on his land. He could keep farming. And instead of contributing to the saturation of the market, he withheld for a higher price. He's got a good head on his shoulders, good business moves. But he didn't think about the detrimental consequences to his neighbors. And he didn't think about the regional economy and the way it would be affected when the price went up. And he didn't think about everyone being made more dependent on him. And he didn't think about the growing gap between himself and the poor peasant farmers around him. Point four. No acknowledgement of God versus God is first to be acknowledged. No acknowledgement of God versus God is first to be acknowledged. There is no acknowledgement of God in this story, none in the whole parable. The farmer sought to secure himself without reference to God, yet his life is on loan. Verse 20, fool, says God, this night your soul is required of you. What's the definition of a fool in the Bible? A person whose practices deny God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Yet the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And all your ways acknowledge him. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. And so I started thinking, what would this story have looked like if these principles were in play? How would the story have been different? And I just took a shot at rewriting it. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Excuse me, I'm on, I read the wrong one. Let me start again. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so he fell to his knees and proclaimed to his Lord, Oh God, I do not deserve this blessing with which you've blessed me. What shall I do with this surplus? I have no place to store it. Who shall I give it to? And then he went to his brothers and his sisters, his family and his friends and his community, and he said, friends, I have surplus. Where have you seen need? Who is on hard times? Who is without bread and shelter? Who can we tell about the abundance of the kingdom? For one day we will see it fully and we will eat and drink and be merry. We must tell more of the celebration that is in store for all those who know the king. It's the fifth point. 
Last one. Grasping is all about here and now. But giving is all about forever and ever. Here and now versus forever and ever. The man says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax, eat, drink, and be merry, which is a well-known model for the hedonistic lifestyle, which says all people have the right to do everything in their power to achieve the greatest amount of pleasure possible to them. For how long? For this life is only but a breath. And it occurs to me that one of the biggest reasons I opt to grasp instead of give is because my view of eternity, my view of the coming kingdom of God, the abundance of the kingdom is far too small. I don't trust that his goodness is so much greater than our things. And he's pleased to give us the kingdom. And he's pleased to give us the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever we bind on earth may be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth may be loosed in heaven. Somehow, in some mysterious way, the thing that we're investing towards the kingdom today will remain as through fire, the scripture tells us, and will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth that he is bringing. Behold, he's making all things new. And we're waiting, we're trusting for that new heaven and the new earth. So I've got, if you're listening online, about 90 feet of rope over here. And on the very end of the rope, I have about three inches that's orange. And if this three inches of orange represents our life here on earth, then this entire rope represents the kingdom of God. Are we laying up for ourselves treasures on earth? The kingdom of this world? It's passing away. It's where moth and rust destroy. It's where thieves break in and steal. We're not looking to things seen, for we're of all people to be pitied if we're only living for this world, says 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Now we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're looking to things that are unseen and eternal. We're trusting the promise of God that the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of the Lord. And we who trust Christ are heirs of this kingdom. And I want to just describe this kingdom to us. I just want to read this description of it. It's so good, guys. It's better than anything we can imagine. It's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. It's abundantly more than we can ask or think. It's the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glory, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. It's an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. It's the riches of his grace and kindness, a feast in the abundance of his house, a new heaven and a new earth over which the glory of God will give its light and there'll be no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, unless you think you can imagine what it'll be like. No heart has seen, no ear has heard, no eye knows what God will do, what he has in store for those who love him and trust him and live for him. Yes, the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of the Lord and he shall reign forever. And I grasp after this. And I hold on to it tight. I do this. Don't take it from me. I've got to have it. And he says to me, you can have the kingdom of God. And I say, I'm building bigger barns. Abundance of possessions. I'm leveraging everything I have for these four inches. And the sobering thing is where your treasure is, there your heart will be.
The Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And I would add to that that we have few wants because we know who our shepherd is. We have no need. He's met everyone. He's come that we may have life and life abundantly. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for the abundance of your goodness. We thank you for the, your scripture, your word, and the way it speaks to us, the way it's acting and living. And we ask that you'd help us to pay attention to our posture, our relationship to our things. In Jesus' name.